and welcome to the HBM episode. I am picking berries at the end of the world. I'm joined by Frank and not Frank. Frank and not Frank, how are you doing? Hello, Leon. Uh, I am uh, wielding a flaming sword and uh, going on an ancient crusade or something of the kind. Uh, Hello, not Frank. And I'm Justin, not Frank. (laughs) Howdy. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Justin. Uh, you might remember Justin from the Library Punk uh, podcast that we appeared on to talk about audio and media with. We sure do like media, so we were on Library Punk. Go check out that episode. It's really good. I like it so much. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, or just check out Library Punk in general. I, it's, it's a really good podcast. If you like your library stuff or just media in general, I can humbly recommend it. Yeah, it is a leftist. Yeah, it it is a leftist li- leftist library worker podcast. We talk about things that are relevant to libraries, but also we have a lot of non-library guests on to talk about things that uh, affect everyone. Um, so libraries are kind of the the frame through which we approach politics and left politics. So it grounds us a little bit, so we don't just go off the walls. But we talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, we had a whole episode on mushrooms, you know, because they're hard to classify. <laughs> Classification, libraries, you see, we get it, yeah. we make it work. Yeah, no, uh, the repeated guest of Left Page and Hebe Media, uh, Kate, uh, was on Library Punk to talk about mushrooms. So go mm-hmm. check out. It's, it's, all, it's all becoming one, one illustrious circle of micro leftist podcasting. So you're, yes. you're welcome. Yes. And one day we might all submerge under. The, uh, the 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 merge in, in, induced floods and water, uh, or I might at least because I live on the coast and, <laughs> and below sea level. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> besides that, I do like boats, big boats, and I cannot lie. And other than that, who also liked boats, big boats, was a man called Noah, and uh, you might heard about him. He had like a really big boat, and he also had his own biopic. <laughs> in 2014 <laughs> 2014 you know better late than never um it's you know after jesus had like 500 of those it's like well let's let's look at noah and uh noah yeah um was played by an australian which mm-hmm. is not a very moist country so i don't know if that makes sense should have been should have been Dutch, yeah that's what i'm saying or like some other country that's below water well it wasn't a very moist earth until the flood because it never rained before the flood. So it makes sense that a man with no experience with rain would then have to act what it's like to, to deal with a lot of rain all at once. You, you do you have think, me there. If you think about it, this is a very smart movie. Yeah. It's something no, I'm going to continue to insist <laughs> against uh, everyone's objections. Feel, feel free to do anything else. Other than that, yeah, it's uh, gladiators in this movie, Russell Crowe. Uh, we're talking about the... Aronofsky Noah movie from 2014, right, Justin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this movie came out uh, 2014. So let's take ourselves back there. We're at the uh, tail end of the Obama presidency. Um, there is a lot of uh, so we're still dealing with sort of the backlash of um, his presidency in terms of white aggrievement politics, and uh, this movie comes out, uh, which talks a, about a. Uh, a Jewish story, a fundamentally Jewish story, um, that Christians believe they have some major claim over. And 
uh, spent a lot of time saying that uh, that this movie was um, bad. It was wrong. It was outrage mongering. And in fact, uh, I've brought a clip because this clip has kind of like lived in my head and kind of encapsulates the response at the time. If you can play it. Yeah, sure. Um, Justin feels very strongly about this movie. That's why we're doing this movie. But uh, I'm very happy to have Justin on. And I invited Justin multiple times. And eventually uh, this one came forth by Justin. So very happy uh, (laughs) to have Justin on, even if it's to talk about this movie. But yeah, here's a clip about the reception indeed of the American reception of this movie. They claim that the movie is unfaithful to one of the Bible's most famous tales. There's definitely artistic liberties taken in the film. This movie is not a documentary. So you're telling me the movie about a man who lives to 950 and loads two of every animal onto a 300 cubit long boat. By the way, a cubit is from here to here. 300 of these bad boys. Yeah, that's going to keep the lions away from the delicious zebras. So, yeah, so that was John Stewart. Show? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was John Stewart making fun of the response. And there's a whole clip uh, of, of that. But it um it took me a really long time to find it and so i'm so glad i found out before we recorded but um <laughs> no this movie is uh as i as i said to leon when i i pitched this this is my boss baby this movie lives in my head i want it out um i will preface it is not a good movie i have <laughs> religious movies that i like that are good movies like last temptation of christ or the man from earth um which i did a whole episode on with labor kyle actually the man from earth uh yes and uh, that is my favorite movie of all time. It is about a caveman who lives 14,000 years. And uh, you have to, it's, it's great. So yes, it is. this Noah movie, though, is a very, very interesting movie because it's got a lot of whoever wrote it and was putting it together must have consciously done a lot of intense thinking about mythology, the role of mythology, what it does, um, why we tell myths. and also knew the various levels of the myth. So the version of Noah in the Bible, the version that we get in the book of Enoch in the book of Jubilees. And I would argue that this movie is a new version of the myth um, that has been fundamentally made modern, but not, not by throwing away anything old, but just reading what was already there for you to play with. Myths are things we, myths are stories that we use to tell truth about the things. Um, people tend to use the word mythology to mean something that didn't historically happen. That's not really a good definition. Mythology is a story we use to tell a truth. So you could think of it more like a parable, but it's you explain where did this come from? Why did this happen? And so the Noah uh, myth changes over time. You know, the early one is um, humans are too loud and noisy, and then God wipes them out. It's more or less kind of like the very basic version. And then we get into the Book of Enoch, uh, where actually we have these fallen angels. They corrupt God's perfect world. They create, uh, they interbreed with humans, and they create these giants, which are basically like Attack on Titan. They they eat <laughs> all of the veg. Yeah, the Nephilim. Uh, they eat all the vegetation. They start doing crimes against the birds, which means like everyone is assumed to be vegetarian. So they're starting to eat cattle. They're starting to eat humans. And God wipes them out by doing a flood because he has to, because the the world is basically post-apocalyptic. And this movie kind of plays with that in that it is a post-apocalyptic movie set 
yeah. 10 generations after the first man, which is it's, a little yeah. weird. It's post-apocalyptic and then still pre-apocalyptic at the same time. Yeah. It is, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, how about another apocalypse? And, you know, that's it's, it's a daring setting, I would say. Uh, Justin did call it, like, uh, I believe in the notes, you called it uh, Noah meets Mad Max. Mm-hmm. And it, it does have a, some of that, I would definitely say. It starts off a little bit too majestic. Uh, Mad Max like hits you in the face with it, I would say. And like uh, once again, I understand it was just a loose uh, comparison. Don't worry. But uh, it's like it starts off a lot more gentle, I would say. But then it very clearly goes like I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, very Mad Max ish. Like I definitely um, uh, Fury Road. I believe that's the reason, most recent one. Yeah, I could mm-hmm. definitely see like Tom Hardy riding in on a truck in this movie. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, and uh, leading like a bunch of uh, flesh-eating people. But um, yeah, no. Uh, so it's it's directed by a person that, if you check out, uh, people that are in our podcast circle uh, <laughs> have certain opinions about, mainly horror vanguard, who have very elaborate opinions about um, uh, Aronofsky. Uh, Adam, what's his name again? Uh, Darren Aronofsky. Hmm? Darren Darren Aronofsky. Um. Uh. Yeah. Who is who is Jewish himself? Which is normally not something I'd like put up uh, as a description for reasons, uh, for multiple reasons. <laughs> I think it's so, relevant in this case. I think yeah, he precisely. he knows yeah. a lot of literature that brings this movie so much potential into a bad movie. Yeah, and it's why I think I'm obsessed with it. It's why <laughs> I have to get it out. Okay. That's no, fair. no. Happy to facilitate that. First <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. No. So. Uh, yeah, um, I remember this movie coming out, and once again, I was not familiar with Aronofsky. I heard did hear of Black Swan. Uh, I remember the only thing about Black Swan is because it has a lesbian scene in it or something, and that's why people were talking about it. I was like, I don't care. Um, it's yeah, people are cool and all that, but it's not the reason why I'm going to watch a movie. Hmm. It's uh, once again, it wasn't phrased as a like a queer movie. It was just like there's a lesbian scene in there. Period, to me at least, by my environment, which. Other than that, yeah, I, I didn't have much of an understanding of Aronofsky. I did watch it. I watched a lot of stuff back in the day for no particular reason. Yeah, but it did give me like a broad sense of media to draw upon unintentionally. So uh, in, in a way, this this movie is a very small part of me starting a, a media podcast later on, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't have any strong feelings about it back then. I thought it was odd. Uh, went on for a bit too long, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I, I remember the most profound thought being like, "Well, I could have been watching Gladiator again," and mm. it's it's, <laughs> but then again, that was like nine years ago, Leon, which we should not have spent a lot of time thinking about that. That was not the, not not the final form, Leon. Uh, still not, by the way, but we will get there. I I was, watched this recently again because Justin wanted to talk about this and. I understand why certain people have problems with Aronofsky. I saw an interview of him with a Dutch media outlet not that long ago in which he talked about the will. And he, uh, which is too bad because the way he talks about stuff, I was like, hey, this is interesting. Uh, But then I was like, oh, that Aronofsky, huh, interesting. Um, Mainly because he talked about how his movies worked. And he said, like, well, my movies work as an exercise in empathy. And I was like, I don't what? necessarily get that from Noah personally. Uh, 
maybe the fallen angels need to have empathy with humans or something. I don't know. Something along those lines. But uh, yeah, uh, it was mainly centered around the whale and like his his later works. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone has strong feelings about Aronofsky themselves or it's uh, yeah, getting, getting I, a lot um, of head shaking. I, um, I'm going to preface by my my part in this episode uh say that like i i don't know much about aronofsky other than uh, I, I knew he did black swan though like it's not like a movie um and i i am familiar with horror vanger's position on him um how they feel so uh i was definitely biased by that but i saw some comparison points with this movie i'll get to it later but i it, i think maybe having not seen mother uh, which is the movie John and Ash were talking about. Uh, I can't compare that much, but like, I, if that movie is evil, uh, this one is just bad. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll, my, my, what I'll say that's probably more important than that is how I have not seen. I had not seen this movie before. Like I remember hearing about it, but I was young. I'm, I'm the youngest here, so um, <laughs> yeah, it it wasn't as much a big thing for me, but. Watching it now, and especially, I, I think I had seen some of uh, Justin's notes before seeing it, and I was like, and pretty much how I saw it was like, okay, it's one particular version uh, of the of the Noah story myth um, taken to a in a filmic setting, and uh, that's fine. Like uh, as a, as you know, as a practicing Roman Catholic, like I I don't mind the movie. Like it's. It's taken that story, taking that myth, and doing something else, and that's fine. Like it's um, throughout the entire movie, I didn't get a sense. It's like, no, this is the actual, this is the true Noah story. It, I think it <laughs> it holds off to some of that sense of like, yeah, no, it's it's one way to tell this story, and it's a an odd way. And well, we'll get to that. It's it's still very long though, uh, but somewhat fitting uh, as even as an adaptation of the Book of Enoch, pretty much. Uh, as Justin was pointing out, and hopefully pointing out to me uh, in, in the notes generally, um, it's uh, it's very much a Noah biopic. Though he he is the focus of this entire story, and it all uh, flows around him. So it's somewhat prophetically titled. I, I felt at least that's like yeah, no, it's it's this man's journey. Definitely, yeah. And it definitely is focused really heavily leaning on Russell Crowe as an actor because the rest of the cast is really not. I, I mean, uh, Naima, his wife, she's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I don't. And and you have um, what's her name? Emma Emma Watson. Watson. Um, she's a good actor, but she's not utilized very well. Oh. And mm-hmm. everyone else is just kind of like off to the side and that like literally Anthony Hopkins is in this movie just off to the side. And they're like, they leave him like 20 feet off screen for 10 years in this movie. Yeah. One of your most talented actors. Yeah. <laughs> He's literally down the road for 10 years and they never yeah. see him. No. Um, but you know, it's so it's really like this movie is squarely on Russell Crowe's shoulders. And that was probably a mistake. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it has uh, the fun dated CGI that was very popular at the time. This very grimy look to the CGI that once again was uh, was championed during that I would say between two thousand eleven, two thousand sixteen, seventeen. 
like when Marvel MCU started to pop off, I would say that's when CGI changed. Not necessarily for the better, but a different style. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it has the uh, what I like to call as someone who uh, has a Star Wars tumor. Um, it's um, it has the uh, fun problem where whether they run into the prequels of Star Wars, which is that a lot of people talking to a tennis ball because uh, there's there's uh, the angels are all CGI. There are these fallen angels, like Justin said, who are like melted with earth and look like uh, discount bionicles, sadly. And it's mm-hmm. like also would love a uh, Bible bionicle adaptation, but that's not here or there. But um, mm-hmm. I would watch it. But it's uh, it's on my list of three things that I want really bad. And it's um, well, yeah. So then we have that problem that there are intense emotional scenes with between humans and not amazing cgi uh it's uh yeah which is like such a fun thing to like grab back into uh like cast our guys gaze back into well it's re-emerging i suppose with like the overworking of uh cgi studios uh them mm-hmm. like being like you know treated extremely poorly and a lot of studios not wanting to work with certain studios anymore and that's like so maybe we have like a little uh bad cgi disconnect renaissance thing on our hands but uh we'll see but yeah, it's it's mainly Russell Crowe and then Anthony Hopkins, one of my favorite actors of all time, is like very underutilized and is just picking berries at the end of the world. And like, uh, I don't know, uh, he gives Noah hallucinogenic tea, which is, mm-hmm. you know, definitely how that happens. Um, it's, uh, it's And then he's, he's like the final version of uh, what God is doing, trying to communicate to him. Very interesting way uh, as well that uh, the first thing I would like to get into is that it's... Once again, it's all within the books of Genesis, and I get that, but it almost subscribes to a more linear tradition than the than I would say scripture itself does. Uh, scripture itself has slightly more separated uh, st- stuff going on, and it's like clearly like son of Adam, son of Adam, uh, like this whole lineage of people, and like not saying that, that you can't find it in the in the scripture, but the the way it is um, championed, I would say, within this movie. Not that I want to say that they put that much intensity or like investment into it, but the way it is utilized, I think, is very interesting. Uh, I don't know necessarily what they want to say with that, but other than to give like gravitas to the narrative, which I'm not quite sure if that's what you should do, but that's me. Me. You're talking about like the importance of like family lines, like yeah, yeah. like the the descendants of Shem go yeah. straight down to Lamech and then at and then Noah, right? Yeah, and I'm saying that that is not unimportant, far from it, yeah. in uh, scripture. But the way it was used as a plot device in this movie, I found remarkable. Mm. And uh, like once again, line of Cain as well, and so forth and so on. It's yeah, they're definitely pulling from like Sethian Gnosticism, which is some of the yeah. where we get some of these texts from. So they're saying like Seth is like you know kind of the the rightful heir of Adam. Um, they have this snakeskin that is uh, passed down the Sethian line, which is kind of interesting. Um, I actually found a little bit on that before, but basically they 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 wrap they wrap it like tefillin around their arms, yeah. and then they they go to their firstborn son. And they they say you know whatever, and then they uh, kind of transfer this power. And uh, early in the movie. Noah doesn't is in the middle of this as a child, 
Tubal Cain kills Lamech and uh, steals a snake skin. And I was looking into what this could be. And let me get out my uh, Three of Souls, the mythology of Judaism. Um, I do like the snake skin as a Jewish activation code, by the way, but that's not here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it could be a metaphor for the book of Raziel, which is a book that God gives to either Adam or mm-hmm. to Noah, depending on the version, um, which is how like they know what the future will hold. So um, it's given as a book so that it doesn't drive Adam mad um, by hearing it out loud. And uh, yeah, so maybe that's where that came from. But that's uh, if you're wondering about the snake skin, probably that's okay, where yeah. it is. Yeah. one mystery uh, solved <laughs> yeah, this no, film is like rich with all of these little details that have actual precedent in, in in religious stories but they're just all it's really hard to appreciate it because i don't think an american audience is really gonna expect it yeah no definitely and what i feel is like it is checklisted as well because there, there's, in my opinion, there was mm-hmm. um, nothing stood Aronofsky in the writer. I forgot his name. I'm so sorry, but um, nothing stood Aronofsky in the way to maybe just explain that what you just did. Like you know, it's just like, hey, look at us. We know a thing, and we and uh, they expect it. Um, once again, it's a biblical story, so the audience that you're going to draw are not going to be like film majors that like you know love to like dissect every single scene and. You know, uh, which is cool. Um, I, I appreciate the diligence, and I learned a lot from such analysis and stuff, and so on. But um, especially, like, if you're going to like center it towards a more American audience, and uh, once again, no offense to Americans or whatever, but there is a large uh, religious uh, despondent uh, group of people in the United States, and yeah, who I would say once again, maybe you can help me out here, Justin, but maintain a very odd relation with literalism mm-hmm. uh, mainly that like you know it's once again it has lobbyists for like evolutionary theory and so forth and so on and it's like we have sects of sects sects of that as well in uh, Netherlands and like in Europe all, all over the place but they are not as large and prominent as those in the United States so there's nothing really geared towards those people here and I don't think this movie meant geared towards those people but at the same time that's going to be your main audience initially i think and maybe this movie had the ambition to like strike an other audience as well or like a more general audience or like i don't know uh they put russell crow in there so i don't know hope hope for a more mainstream audience i once again that that's grasping in the dark i know that i know that but yeah i'm kind of perplexed by that choice um even though interesting and i love like once again talk about it with you guys but i cannot appreciate it within the film setting Sadly, mm-hmm. um, I I know something about the, the snakeskin stuff. Like some some fake stuff reminds me of that. So I'm very thankful for Justin for that the contribution. But uh, I found it also odd. Um, this movie spends a lot of time with an intro, and they could have put that into the intro as well. And then they just don't. They just and they retell the intro later. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean it's it's like well we can't do circumcision, so I don't know. I guess we can do snakeskin. And I touched your finger like E.T. phone home and you're a Jew now and or whatever. You're part of the tribe now. You're part of the good people tribe. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a bit remarkable to me. I think the best way to look at this movie is as mythology and mythmaking. So I think what they're trying to do with this movie is the story of Noah has all these elements about taking care of the earth, 
about destruction of the earth, about mankind's complicity in that. And that ties very well. It's not artificial, ties very well to environmentalism. That's not something that's being read into the Noah story. That's there in various versions of the Noah story. Like Mm -hmm. humanity's evilness did destroy the world. And that's why the flood had to happen. Um, So there, there is that element. There's also, and what I, what I was getting at earlier is this is the first truly Christian version of the Noah story. We've waited thousands of years, but now we have one finally given um, to you by Jewish people. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, most, most great Christian ideas usually are. Um, Augustinian of hippo uh, idea. um, But so the idea in the book of Enoch and the book of Jubilees is like creation is perfect. Fallen angels, the watchers come down. They teach us cosmetics and war, two very dangerous things that we shouldn't know. Um, And we use this to, to, you know, it's a, it's a Hebrew, um, uh, myth of Prometheus, right? So mm-hmm. it, it corrupts us. This movie is absolutely from the beginning Christian. Those title cards you were talking about, it says, in the beginning there was nothing. Okay, that's not how Genesis starts, but never mind that. Um, temptation led to sin is what it says. So immediately, good and evil are right inside humanity. Very Christian idea. It's rejecting yeah. this external evil. No, it's in you. You can be good. You can be evil. It's a major theme of this movie. This is a, and of course we'll get to it. There is literally salvation scenes where people ask for salvation, yeah. sola fide, and they get whisked right to heaven uh, to be with the Southern Baptist congregation of Jesus. I mean, they are right there, sola fide, Protestantism. This is like just once saved, always saved. You are straight into heaven. This is an extremely Christian movie. Um, and so it's it's very fun in that sense. But I think why they tried to bring in like Russell Crowe and stuff like that is you can't you could never make the American fundamentalist crowd happy. Oh, no. there was really yeah. no way to do it. Yeah, um, because they don't take this story seriously, because uh, as before we started recording, Frank said, like, you know, how do I deal with the fact that I'm like God, I worship killed all these people. And that's the reaction you should have. Right. Is that. How do I deal with this? How do I understand this? Uh, whereas, you know, if if you go that longer clip of that um, that Fox News thing, she goes, I just remember the animals went two by two and the rainbow and everyone lived happily ever after. And then Jon Stewart jumps in and goes, everybody died. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, so it shows you that Americans take the Bible literally, but they don't take it seriously. I think it comes back to that. It's, they believe yeah. consciously that this happened, but really, no. They don't actually believe it. They understand that it's a myth, but they can only understand that subconsciously because to admit it kind of breaks the pull of fundamentalism. You're, you're just not allowed to think that way. Yeah. And like yeah. just to dip into like this whole Republican identity, like uh, not, uh, I don't, I don't know it well enough, but it's, um, it's, it's interesting that like there's large group of fundamentalist Christians in the United States also identify with Republican politics very strongly. And it's um, remarkable then that they have, that they also managed to do scripture, how to say this, to, um, uh, to transform this cognitive dissonance with their relationship with scripture. And so they, they push for teaching this 
evolutionary theory, uh, not not teaching evolutionary theory, but like creationism and so forth. And like, oh, well, at least do it side by side. Just do this objectively false uh, uh, thing besides the scientific agreement. And mm. that's like, once, once again, that's, uh, I, can't, I can't really get into all of that. But this is, this is very remarkable to me that this, they have this very odd relationship with literalism that I don't, once again, I cannot really understand other than acknowledging the, the best way I can understand it is to identify the points at which I cannot understand. And once again, what you, what you touched upon, Justin, I think very accurately, is indeed this element of like, I'm so sorry to draw this comparison, but it, it reminds me a bit of like, you know, like denialism about like Trump doing anything wrong or like I don't know, any Republican no, person. I think it's definitely the same yeah. uh, psychological phenomenon, more or less. It's, it's an accepting of authority. The Bible is an authority. Yeah. The politicians I like are an authority. And it is it is scary to me to even allow myself to think because I know because I had to undergo this process myself. I had to, you know, it, it is literally like thought crimes. You're afraid of thinking something. Um, and it's not really because someone else is going to find out and hurt you. It's like your identity is wrapped up with these beliefs. Yeah. And so if you no longer believe it, who are you? That's really, really yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And transforming this like literalist thought into like essentially like a way to control your household and this elevated into your politics like control your like you know your neighborhood and so forth and so on through these ideas and like not even renegotiating your relationship with with scripture but essentially like full-on weaponizing it for your rhetorical goals and these rhetorical goals are not just simple discussion points but have real life hyper implicit uh effects and i don't know i think that's 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 very concerning and once again americans uh, uh american christians or this this group of american christianity is not the only group of people that do that there's there's more in the world but mainly because this is an american movie i'm gonna like uh focus on that and also because we have a lot of reaction from these american christians to this movie that uh i remember in the same clip that justin was talking about the woman was talking about um like oh Noah's very kind, it's very loving. I only I, I remember the animals and so forth and so on. Indeed, and the Noah's very fun and kind. And then like there's this uh, that John also talks about certain points in within actual scripture. So this is why I, I'm so perplexed by their relationship with their literalism because it's not literalism. It's picking and choosing political literalism or something. It's it's a very odd and I'm hesitant to call it renegotiation because. Normally, when I say renegotiation, it's sincere, even though I don't agree with the, with the overarching goals. I would still still say it's some degree of sincerity. Sincerity is not inherently positive, I would say, because you can be a bad person sincerely. But um, yeah, it's just it's once again, it's this introduction of cognitive dissonance within this process that is just there because I I need I need to say gays are bad because never mind, not important. I need to say gays are bad uh, because Bible. And actually, if you say gays are good, that is infringing upon my right as a Christian, actually. So fuck you for doing that. And that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's that, the Bible and the, and the uh, not the Declaration of Independence, uh, the Constitution. Thank you. Sorry. The Constitution, indeed, and the amendments and so forth and so on. Some amendments, yeah. not all of them. Don't worry about that. And it's, it's, it's a process that flattens everything because there's, there's no history to to these readings, no history to these texts, no history to these interpretations. It's 
It's pure authority. That's what it is. And that's what it always has been. That's what it always will be. And it is beyond question. And when you take it upon that and, you know, you don't add any or have any element of criticism and, and understanding, it's like, I, I mean, I, I, I personally, I hold very frequently when I make scathing attacks upon, uh, in my personal life, uh, scripture <laughs> or especially, especially uh, Christian or Catholic doctrine in particular and the church with capital C. Um, I, I frequently add to the points like, well, if according to this, uh, we are uh, given reason, we're giving science or logic as, as the gifts given by the Holy Spirit, whole thing, <laughs> then within that reason, there's the capacity of critique. And if we are divinely given the capacity and the ability to critique, well then, by God, should we use it? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and it's also... The thing about mythology and the thing about the tradition is it exists for the living, right? So reactionary yes. tradition is the new thing, right? The thing that the yeah. reactionary tradition is reacting to is the natural progression of the of the religion. Everyone went, oh, you know, universal salvation. That makes a whole lot of sense to Christians. And then you had a reaction against that. But that was the main group of, of Christians were moving towards that conclusion, um, but you own the tradition now. You own the because you are alive. You get to say how I want to interpret this, and that's it's. I find that invigorating um, as someone who spent a whole lot of time trying to understand the tradition I grew up in, and then learning to find something positive in it, and then from there, learning to actually enjoy it, and, and you know, much in the same way I. Uh, in the same way that I enjoy having English as a first language. I think it's great. I, I love all the little weirdness about English and I just enjoy it because it's mine and it, I get to play with it. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing. A tradition is yours because you're alive. You get to be the one to, to move it along. And so these kinds of reinterpretations like this movie, like uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, I think uh, perfectly reasonable things to do with with the stories that you've been given. Yeah. No, for me, uh, Prince of Egypt comes to mind. Yeah, um, I think that's very. Oh respectful. right, I never, I never really saw it as a kid. I, I only saw it like once, probably like late at night. And I was just like, I really <laughs> have never gotten around to seeing this, and then I, I probably like skimmed a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that's probably another one that that should be up. I, I remember like it was very well received by different religious groups, and they also checked with different religious groups, and like so uh, across the Abrahamic board, so to speak, it was very well received. And so it's very much possible to do this. Let me just like, it's, um, and yeah, maybe, maybe you will not get the American uh, evangelical Protestant. Once again, I don't know all the flavors, uh, Puritan, whatever, um, all those flavors uh, of uh, non-Catholicism Christianity in the United States. Although the, the Catholics in the United States are not necessarily. Once again, I don't pick sides. Uh, let me just say that. <laughs> let me just put a period right there. In in fact, but. Yeah, no, it's it's um, so it's very much possible to like you know uh, create like a very respectful movie uh, across the board. I think of scripture, and I will say um, Noah is not interested. Uh, doesn't have the goal, I would say, to be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I will say I'm happy to come from a group of people that like have uh, like this tradition of reinterpreting text of like, hey, here's the text, actually scripture, and here's our uh, explanation of it. Or like you know, like rabbinical reinterpretation of 
this text, and which prevents um, large-scale literacism and also this type of um, that's best word, kindest word I can think of is like dubious reinterpretation of literalism that we just talked about, and yeah, so, uh, yeah. So once again, I also don't know what uh, I'm much more familiar with the, the stories of Exodus of uh, once again of, of of creation, a couple of other stuff I'm even familiar with New Testament stuff. Noah, I must admit, uh, is pretty uh, uh, an embarrassing gap in my uh, knowledge of scripture so um so i'm sorry justin for that but it's uh <laughs> it's uh yeah i think the things also that aronofsky and his team want to imbue this movie and this story with don't necessarily uh work out that well even though aesthetically it has its place with the whole like grimy realism mad max type thing going on but i'm i'm left wondering why why do we uh feel the need to spend so much time setting this mad max scenario up and then spend a lot of time like like a lot of time on the arc it's it's such an odd pacing movie as well which is a very technical thing mm. i know but i think it ties into my flabbergastedness of this movie for lack of a better word could have been edited down definitely <laughs> and i mean just to go into a few things that changed um, from the myth to the movie. So um, in the myth, as we mentioned, the Nephilim are what destroy the world. There are no Nephilim in this movie. Um, instead, right off the bat, okay, I have to explain a little bit about biblical studies. Just give me a moment. Go ahead. So the, Tor the Torah is made up of four distinct uh, hypothetical documents, um, J, E, D, and P. And, uh, D you can ignore because that's Deuteronomy. So, um, but they're both they're mostly named based on the names of God, and so I'm going to try not say them because I feel like I don't want to do that. Um, so J E P. You said Tetronomicon. That's fine. Tetronomicon. I, I, I could say Tetronomicon. Or or, uh, that's fine. <laughs> I'll just say Ed and I when I get, if I have to. Um, Appreciate it though. So, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> um, and so. That's why you get like three versions of a lot of stories in the Torah. So you'll get three versions of the story of Abraham and his wife go to a city and the king of the city says, oh, my God, uh, that's your sister, right? And they go, yeah. And he goes, OK, going in my harem. And then everyone, all the men in the in the royal court, their dicks fall off. And then they come back and they go, why did you say it was your sister? And he goes, oh, well, sorry. So that happens twice to Abraham and Sarah. And it happens one time to Lot and his wife because no one wants their favorite version left out. And so um, the redactor, this is a hypothetical person, traditionally would be like Ezra, um, is is stitching these stories together. And so you get multiple creation stories. You've got the first one in Genesis one, you've got the second one, Genesis two through five, and then you've got two Noah stories. You've got one where there's two of every animal. And then there's also ones where he has to keep seven pairs of clean and unclean animals because that, that author assumed that God's law was eternal. Right. So of course, Noah would kept kosher, um, even though those laws hadn't been given yet. It, that's sort <laughs> of the, it assumes that God's laws were just eternal like that. Um, and so because of these like uh, different versions, that's how you get like these confused genealogies and stuff like that. And it's also how you get characters like Cain. So Cain is a folk hero. Um, but unfortunately, when you're when you were the redactor, 
he's the first murderer. So you've got to put him near the beginning. So he's the fourth person to ever exist. He kills his brother, takes a wife, and goes to build a city. For who? Why is he building a city? (laughs) There's no one else. But he's the man who builds the first city. He's the man who invents agriculture. He's the first murderer. You've got to get all these stories in there. And it, it doesn't it doesn't cover everything, right? And then yeah. you have two duplications of him. You have Kanan and you have Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain's in this movie. Tubal Cain is the inventor of iron weapons, which of course you can see how that ties into murder. Right. So Tubal Cain's the bad guy of this story, um, of this movie. And what it says at the beginning is Cain's cities spread out across the world and damage it. So instead of the Nephilim, the cities have done this. So industrialization. They also have this element that is sort of like gunpowder slash oil. It's Zohar. It's it's what's yeah. left over from the creation. It's mentioned in the Ark story because uh, God tells Noah to make a Zohar, which is usually translated as a window, but yeah. mystically has also been this shard that could have light provided yeah. light internally. So again, really smart reading. I don't know if anyone in the American audience Thursday <laughs> night... Know caught that of what a zohar was why is there zohar why is this a marvel movie why is there unobtainium right yeah but that's why we have these this weirdness is because the story has multiple sources and no one wants their their favorite one so there's two noah stories and and it, and it leads to all these really cool things that again there's so much to play with here and instead we just watch the watchers build an ark for a long time yeah, and the family. Um, and we watched Noah yell at his family a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's funny that there's like this afterthought in his movie as well at the end that Noah becomes an alcoholic real quick, and that happens after he he's terrible to his family. So I thought that was mm-hmm. like, oh, he's he's better as an alcoholic. How hilarious! Um, slightly insensitive, maybe I don't know. It has this very very interesting relationship indeed with like it's the larger. Uh, once again, mythological uh, charge of scripture. And it, it then, um, I guess what I was trying to articulate earlier, it has this, all the things that you say, uh, Justin, but it also then, so what I find difficult about it is that it, it does engage with all these things that you say. But then it also tries to, and I'm not saying that it was intentional, but I do think it's very much the result, that it tries to um, establish this unifocal uh, perspective to scripture which is very much not the case, I think. And I am always deeply mistrustful personally. That's my own value judgment. Mm-hmm. But I'm always deeply mistrustful uh, personally. And I suppose also uh, I got I got lucky and my personal opinion is also responded with the academic consensus on biblical scholarship. But um, that, that, that like we should not approach these texts from a uh, univocal point. That's never, you should, you should never do that. Because it's incorrect. It doesn't make sense. And but it does kind of once again with argue it argues from this very um, if it, I don't know if it tries to do it necessarily that's like saying it's not championing univocalism but it does drape itself in the aesthetics of univocalism mm. and I don't know I don't know what to I do think with I that. see what you're saying yeah yeah and then in combination with all these fun little tidbits doesn't really that that creates for a very disjointed experience in my humble a viewing experience so yeah that's that I'm yeah I don't know. I found the inclusion of Sohar very interesting, even though it then, once again, it it, it has this more, there's this ecological uh, elements uh, imbued with it 
the uh, fact that it can be created light, that it can be light, which is clearly linked to a element or a sub-element of divinity because it opens up with this very yeah. Genesis story of creation, like, and there was light. And uh, I personally always kind of dislike this element of, oh, God just like uh, exhaled and there was the universe. I much more like this interpretation, which in some scriptures uh, supports this as well, I believe, but um, I much, like, much, much more like this interpretation of that God worked on the universe, a much more uh, labor-oriented God, I suppose, <laughs> mm-hmm. is more a union, pro-union God that I like. It's um, like, like, you know, and because he had to rest on the last day, which is also said somewhere, I believe. So this this uh, this addition of um, Sohar and like armadillo dogs as well, I guess Shrug um, mm-hmm. was very was very odd to me, and its its ecological charge of this movie is then I would say my main concern. With uh, I don't mind an ecological element being placed within Noah's story because, like you said earlier, Justin, there is some of that there. I would say, uh, or at least people smarter than me have said that there's some of that there, so I'll believe them. Um, and, but the way it is then phrased as in this, oh, humanity bad and therefore earth dying is a narrative that is, has aged extremely poorly, first off. Mm. And I was not necessarily a fan of in the beginning to begin with. So yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know how to do it, what to do with that, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, for me, like, especially as I watched, like, I think the problem is how, I mean, it's it's what Justin mentioned that I was talking about, right? Like, how do you adapt the Noah story without, uh, you know, there's genocide there. If if we're taking this story and telling it like there's a countless amount of people that died or creatures or or even if we want to talk about the Nephilim, um, so how do we understand that? How do we engage with that? And the fact that it is all people. It leads to some uncomfortable readings and, and sequences, really, um, where there's like, yeah, it's, uh, and the movie somewhat gets away with it. Uh, I don't really think so, but the, the way it tries to frame it is via this focus on Noah, that it is Noah who is making all the decisions and he's the one responsible and he had to make certain hard choices for later and whatnot. And to me, I think one of something that sort of makes it difficult as well is in the sort of the conclusion or, or yeah, at the end of the movie, when we, we have the rainbows and whatnot, there's like uh, something which is distinctive. And uh, I suppose it, it ties it ties in well as a recommendation to something that Leon recommended it to me, um, which is Data Over Dogma, which is a podcast on biblical studies. And it's it's very good. And uh, one of the things they, they were mentioning in one of the ones that I was listening to is how, and this is significant, at, at, you know, the, after the flood, after the ark, after the, the, all that, uh, the, the rainbows, the, this alliance, the symbol of alliance with humanity is also a promise that something like this will never happen again, uh, at least divinely mandated as such. It, it's something that I, I feel like the, the movie has a, an odd relationship with tone. Like, cause it's, it's both deeply somber. Like it's a dark movie. Like there's, it's grim, it's gritty, it's, ugh. Uh, I half expected it to end poorly, to end miserably with the end of humanity. Generally. I was like, no, it's, is, is it actually going to end, you know, with, 
you know, rediscovering the earth and that kind of thing, and you get animals, or or, or are we all going to die? Um, I don't know. It could have. Um, and I, I think it, you know, sort of gets deep into the pacing stuff and whatnot. Um, but before I forget, uh, something I want to mention, and I think it's it, the thing about the telling and the univocal is, Mike, I think it's the problem that, um, or at least like the, this is poor, a poor way of saying it, but like the biblical references or the the Jewish references or the various traditions and the references imbued in this film, um, they they kind of get uh, how do I frame it? They sort of get uh, pushed aside via the fact that it is a deeply Christian reading. I feel like the movie works against itself by you know it engages with these traditions, but it also gives a very clear reading that it is this Christian narrative with with sin, with the good and evil, with the fall, big, big capitalized fall. Um, I'm making <laughs> gestures, but people can't see me. Uh, <clears throat> but just to really heighten that fall. Um, and uh, and that goes against with some of the references and some of the connections that it does, you know, with with these very other traditions, with these other readings. And it, it, it goes into, in like these... Um, it creates this tension because the movie goes in different directions depending on the sequence or the moment specifically. So when it is, uh, when it is this tradition, when it is Noah and like his family, or Noah and his father, and that it's one thing, and then the Cain. and then there's the other sequences where it's like, well, but but sin, but evil, but good and evil, and there's good and evil in everyone, and need to choose, and so it creates these tensions. I think. But I think you're right. And I think the problem is, and I hadn't really thought of this before until you said it, but if this had not been a Christian reading of the Noah movie, if they had kept this profoundly Jewish, right, you could have had different moral approaches to evil and God's actions because there's more of a, you know, uh, a struggle with God. He He could have become... Uh, sort of like a, an Israel figure. He could have argued with God. He could have haggled with God. He could have done anything instead of just going, I think God wants me to wipe out all of humanity uh, because <laughs> he realizes that we're just going to ruin it again. Um, and the, the, the movie tries to deal with this redemption thing by saying like, he can't kill his own grandchildren. Humanity has to go on. He feels like he's failed, which is why he then goes and creates a vineyard after the flood and gets drunk on wine. Um, fun, fun little note. That's that's what he's named after. He's not named after the flood story. He's named after inventing wine. Um, so maybe the original flood story was Enoch and not Noach, but the, but the names got confused. Anyway, possibility. <laughs> uh, fun little tidbit. Um, but yeah, he goes and creates a vineyard, and um, he he reconciles with his family because he becomes convinced that like God knew what he was made of, knew that he would save humans, and it wasn't actually a failure on his part. Um, But there was never really any kind of combativeness with God, except when he just refuses to kill his granddaughters. Up until then, he's just kind of on board with it, but then he sees them, he yells to the sky, I can't do this, and then he's just kind of broken as a person. Yeah. uh, Because he thinks he's failed. So... I can see like exactly emotionally what they're trying to do. And it was actually a little more effective on me watching it this time around, but I don't think anyone not obsessed with this movie. Like I am would be like, everyone would just be like, this is totally confusing. 
I was sitting there taking notes, trying to figure out the emotions in the scene. Yeah, I, I feel like they were like recording two different movies at the same time and like intersp- interspliced like scenes from each movie into this movie. And so it's very, yeah, no, very much. Uh, I agree very much with what you're saying. Like, it's, uh, yeah, they, so you have this initially very compelling scene that is very, uh, that reminds me a lot of like Temptation of Christ, even with like going on the knees and like asking God, why, why God? And Noah, like, and then like, you know, have, uh, <laughs> like, giving in to like, okay, yeah, I'm going to kill the children, I guess, because once again, there are children on the ark. Because uh, uh, the uh, uh, the wife of uh, Emma Watson is pregnant, um, the wife of uh, Shem is um, is pregnant with her uh, with their children, and uh, because they are of the old worlds, and Noah's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, their vibes are off, and it's like I'm gonna kill him, and it's like I don't know if God likes the vibes, and then it's like he's gonna kill some children because that's you know God does that a lot throughout the, the scripture, by the way. And so it's not, so it's not necessarily uh, just saying, and it's it's, uh, it's this very compelling scene. Then like oh, a scene that could have been very compelling, like oh why why do this, and then eventually resigning to it. But then the movie spends a lot of time because it has a bunch of other subplots going at the same time that also need to be solved on the arc, and this turns Noah into this very creepy stalking guy that like looms through the like the pillars of like the ark and like looking at looking at the pregnant belly of his of his daughter-in-law and like his adopted daughter and daughter-in-law let's not get into that that's weird bible times baby yeah yeah ooh, yeah and so but then he lurks like ah, i'm gonna kill him ah, ah. and it's like i might kill him if, if they're boys it's fine if they're girls i'm gonna kill him and it's i yeah i don't know what that was all about necessarily because even Russell Crowe can only do that for so long without seeming stupid so yeah. I, it's yeah we spend too much time on Argus what I'm trying to very solidly get at I'm sorry for getting so long but uh, I'll, I'll make a, a brief parenthesis here that I do believe you could make a full uh, feature length film about just living in the arc as like oh, a yeah. drama piece I do firmly believe that as like you know what what next like well, is there? We we believe that there's an a, a tomorrow after this, but like, how is it going to be? How how do we get there? And, and you know that, but like as a drama, not as a thriller, not as a horror, no drama piece. Like just the pain, the the angst, the the suffering, and the getting, and, and the endurance all, all the way through that. I do I do believe there's something interesting there, um, but uh, that that can just be me. Um, but no, yeah, I no, think I... actually you should do it as a comedy and make it like Gilligan's Island. So like every episode, <laughs> they're they're getting into high. They've got to make a they've got to make like a a water catcher or a satellite dish, and then they're like, when 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 is the land going to show up? And then they finally, uh, last episode, they get on the land and then they get on a boat again and they get stuck back out at sea. And that's the, that's how the series ends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, uh, I'm also it's... in favor of that. <laughs> yeah. No. It... I don't know. It's it has this indeed very odd relationship with the amount of time spent on the arc and the amount of plots that are like then still going on at that point. Um, I don't know necessarily where I want to go with this, but it's like it um, it, it reintroduces the Sohar again, but not in a necessarily meaningful way. Like, hey, look, this is how we just use the Sohar, but we already know knew that because they also use the Sohar by cremating bodies. Which I don't know if there was a tradition of cremation, 
but uh, in, in scripture, but once again, I don't necessarily place a lot of importance in that uh, personally, but uh, I do find it an interesting choice. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, <laughs> as especially Noah, who is then still like in such the prime of his life at, at year 900, whatever, um, he can still beat up everyone. And that's like, and I don't know, th- th- I find it very interesting that Noah is supposed to be this very, um, even though he is ruthless, he is still good, sort of. He's still supposed to be on the side of the good guys. And he's supposed to be uh, contrasted to the descendants of Cain, the followers of Cain or whatever. And who, who are very, uh, well, no, very brutal, very, you know, we see this oddly horrifying scene of how they do business and like how the encampments of the warriors of Cain, like that's very, very horrifying. And he's, so he's supposed to be contrasted to that. And up to a point, I would say. And but but at the same time, he's also John Wick. He can also like kill, maim, and murder with the best of them. And he's never like put put any guy against Noah one on one, and he can beat him up. Uh, Russell Crowe is jacked in this movie, by the way. It just I need everyone to know this. He looks like a like a just retired WWE wrestler. He is like yeah, <laughs> he does. He's got the ill fitting blazer too. Did you notice right? his coat is just a blazer? It's just a stone age blazer yeah it could it kept distracting me he's got a stone it's cut <laughs> no, like a blazer but, but he needs needs to show off needs to show off the biceps needs to show off the biceps and traps and and it's like it's just that's what i mean the, the russell crowe is fucking ripped for this movie and it's like and like i i so even i believe that this 900 year old man can beat up his son who is supposed to be in the prime of his life like shem is supposed to be like the strong one at that point i would say not that I care for such readings of scripture, but it it, it makes me care because combat is such a uh, like t- thing tossed into this movie, and I would argue it would be just a lot better without any combat, except for like the struggle on the arc at the end, and and then would have done done that differently. But we don't need to get into all of that. What I'm perplexed by is that there's this because it mainly once again um, I don't want to say that it would it would have done well in European audience, but. Uh, it, it needs this. It needs this, like you know, this this biblical kung fu moments to like uh, find some resonance with the audience that's already getting bored. So we need to see Noah beat up some guys, and that's just such a. Uh, once again, that's one of the elements that is introduced in the movie that I increases to his jackedness for me. Because once again, the end of the movie, that the large part of the arc stuff, is either a horror. Or is a uh, combat stuff it's like hoo ha, like John Wick, like I, I, I will like punch you and stuff. Because the descendant of Cain makes it on board of the Ark, and yeah. Noah has this first this very elaborate fight scene with this guy. I don't know if you want to get into that. You don't have to. Well, we I think we should. I think we have to talk about Ham, um, okay. because yeah. he's the only character that is kind of fleshed out as having sort of um, he has an interest in the world of man, right? Um, and mm-hmm. the audience knows Ham is the one who uh, is going to invoke the wrath of Noah at some point, and his son Canaan, who's not in this movie, Canaan, uh, not filmed, not, not in this film. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Ham's Ham's son, but Ham doesn't have a son at this point. Canaan uh, gets gets cursed because Ham uncovers Noah's nakedness, and this is this is kind of why I brought up the the Noah. His name means he brings comfort from the earth. He invents wine. Because that st- part of the story is really, really important because this is the Kronos myth or the Uranos myth, where uh, there are four sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Canaan. Canaan's a grandson, but whatever. Um, Ham goes, uh, so so Noah invents wine. 
doesn't know the strength of it, passes out, and Ham uncovers his nakedness. He does something to Noah that yeah. is so bad that Noah doesn't curse Ham. He curses his son forever. And so the only thing there is Ham is trying to take over the patriarchy. Instead of doing it through that scene, because it wouldn't make any sense, like he shows up and castrates Noah in the middle of the night, uncovers his nakedness. That's probably what uncovers his nakedness means. Uh, instead of that, he works with Tubal Cain, and Tubal Cain says, Take over from your father. I think there's a line somewhere. It's a throwaway line, and it's like mumbled. But I think it's something about like if Shem will listen to him if he if he takes over. I think that's part of it. And Tubal Cain is saying, Look, humans exist to dominate animals. It's okay for you to eat meat. By the way, this whole time he keeps like chomping the heads off lizards. Like there's he keeps yeah, causing like, like extinctions. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just like, whatever. And he just stays like Ham's like, there's only two. And he's like, yeah. Well, there's only one of me. Yeah. He just like, bites off, <laughs> bites off the head. Um, so the whole betrayal of the patriarch happens in this fight scene. Um, so it's still important, but you've brought in Tubal Cain. Yeah, yeah, and and Ham remains faithful even at the end because he he kills Tubal Cain. Yeah, he he remains faithful. He becomes a murderer in the act, but like at that point, Noah's killed like fifty million people. Yeah, um, none of the other brothers have. He's a chunk but it's of some... people he didn't allow on his ark. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I mean, he killed a lot of people with his bare hands too. Uh, yeah, he stabbed like fifteen, twenty people. <laughs> But the only other person who in his family who kills is Ham. And he's then we're supposed to be like, oh, that's terrible that he killed Tubal Cain. Um, so, yeah, because you can't have the curse of Ham because that's getting into too much American race science. That's going to be a big problem if you if you bring that up. Yeah. So I think they felt they had to have this this temptation and this patriarch fight. But uh, this was the, a dumb way to you don't need two old men fighting each other because i mean two old kane and noah are, are you know russell crowe looks great but like he's you know yeah no yeah he looks it keeps looking great throughout this entire movie only his hair gets grayer and that's the only change um fun fact they're like the, two bikers uh, beating each other yeah yeah like a biker fight. <laughs> it kind biker of do fight. it's like, well it's like once again it's like a wd w w wwe prelims fight or something like it's like i don't know or like a, a fighter breaks out after a promotion scene or something like that. And it's, yeah, um, it's funny that then Noah ages, like uh, not in a meaningful way, but like physically. Uh, his wife's not allowed to age, by the way. No, his wife still looks, looks in her prime, by the way. It's, it's <laughs> great. Minor note, just, just putting that there. But Why are the, we worried about her having more babies? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah, it's, okay. <laughs> it's weird, man. But uh, so it's, that's interesting and then uh ham is also imbued with like oh i don't know if i want to go here but um ham has a incel plot subplot (laughs) and it's i I don't know if if that was necessarily uh um it's a huge um, waste of time yeah it's so massive waste of time (laughs) that is one of the subplots that then goes on on the arc as well and that that is uh, that then it's tied with two by uh Gonna say Tubal Khan. That's just a different guy. Um, Tubal Khan, um, like being like, you know, on on the arc as well as a justification of that because once again, Ham sees him with a broken leg and he's like, oh, I have to eat meat to to repair my leg because that's how that works. And he's a Saiyan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> precisely. Just needs to, uh, and he's stronger after after he gets like damaged. Just like Saiyans, mm-hmm. 
He's like, he comes yeah, from Zenkai boost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pre precisely. Mm -hmm. And it's I don't know. Yeah. So, th so that's yeah. It's so so odd because we have this thing in in writing called character equations. And with the more characters, it's more difficult. In theory, it is more difficult than to find a satisfactory satisfactory ending for all of the characters. So the characters have to be equated to each other in certain in so in such a way that the ending feels logical and slash satisfactory. Uh, not necessarily logical as in actual logic, but it must like some it must strike some kind of logic, actual logic, emotional logic, like once again some kind of satisfactory. And with all these characters, then sort of like interacting with each other both both on the arc and post arc uh, interactions is just odd. Man, like once again, we see Shem and Ham and like the sons of Noah uncovering Noah naked and passed out by wine. Yeah, but it doesn't really. I don't know. I don't know how to interpret that. So once again, like you said, it's an important part. And one of those parts that, once again, the Republican lady that we talked about earlier uh, with her reaction about Noah, like, oh, Noah's so kind and whatnot, uh, conveniently left out of her reading of Noah because I would argue that those type of Republicans only know the Jesus story and even that they don't know very well. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's So yeah, it, it, does, it, it tosses it in there at the end as one of those tidbits, but it's not tidbit material it's important and like quite quite a lot and uh and and ham just then like his character triumph is his rejection of his incel character and then goes hiking which is very yeah. ecological friendly i guess i don't know and, which is weird because he's got to come back we know yeah. he has kids yeah, yeah. so it's, so it's yeah. pretty anti anticlimactic <laughs> i also was so, just thinking as you were saying how they were taking care of him um, they could have established that this family loved each other a little more. They could oh, have yeah. like yeah. had some solidarity because Noah is this authoritarian patriarch the whole time. If he had been a kind and loving father, it would have made a whole lot more sense why he could get everyone to agree with him. But really only Naama, his wife and his daughter-in-law, Ila, they seem to be the only ones who really like him. Like his sons don't really seem to like him all that much. Yeah, no, they liked and, him up up before the vision, and it's like, oh no, I gotta build the ark. So uh, who cares about my family, right? Because until then, he seems like a kind enough father to his children. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's um, he he does just kind of order them around a, a lot. He's yeah. just like, don't do he this, don't do worse. that, don't do this. Yeah, and he gets worse. Oh yeah. If it was sort of if it was sort of this warm family that was against like the horror like the post-apocalyptic like that you know the, the the cities are running out of food so anyone who they're not going to feed they put in pens and uh only the people who are going to, to raid the ark are going to get food and so there's like cannibalism and everything like you know the world is over in this movie like the world is yeah. done the cities yeah. are dying so if he is like the only sort of like we're going to get through this like the darkest days of like World War II or whatever, like I said, if you made this a more Jewish movie, I feel like all the emotional points they were trying to make would have worked, but the salvation narrative and stuff wouldn't have really. It would have been a little bit of a darker movie and like there's nothing we can do to stop this. The end of the world has to happen, but yeah. we need to preserve life because God has commanded us to preserve life. Therefore, you could have like a very strong Jewish through line and, and have a better yeah. movie. And again, that's why this movie is I'm obsessed with it, because you, <laughs> there's a good movie around every corner when you're looking at this movie. But it drives me insane that it's such a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And I would like to um, 
if it's okay with, with you guys, you don't have to get necessarily. I just want to get this in there. You can do with it what you want. <laughs> but I would argue even uh, to like go back into the time that this movie was released. It was released during a very odd time in movie landscape, I would say. This was, once again, pre-dominance of the MCU and so forth and so on. and But uh, like very much um, post-Star uh, Wars as well. So it, there was this kind of like people looking for... People had the desire of the MCU within them, I would say, already. And, th- and one of the things that I think, and I can already hear this board meeting going on, about like people like well people like the Bible uh, so let's do mo- multiple movies about the Bible, and uh, Ridley Scott did this Exodus movie that was released very uh, in close approximation to this Noah story. Um, Exodus got like I don't know what's called Exodus blah blah, blah something, and uh, but Ridley Scott did the Exodus story with uh, Christian Bale and uh, Joel Edgerton I believe being Moses and Ramses, and uh, I didn't watch it. So, <laughs> so that's, that's that all was I'm the one say. with the white Sphinx, right? I, it might be. I, I once again, I didn't watch it. It's it's Ridley Scott. The Sphinx has a white guy's face. <laughs> well, it's, that's from it's, that movie, right? Yeah, I believe I so. Know. And it was like a bunch of hiccups about that, um, which is once again, more, no, never mind, no, not getting into that. But it, I would argue that there was a half-hearted attempt at creating a Bible MCU during that time. There was also a TV series going on about the story of David that they, that they canceled after like a couple of episodes, like the sword and sandal esque reinterpretation of David. Uh, some of the writers for Troy were on it, I believe. I'm not quite sure. I might be mixing up some things here. So once again, I would uh, I I don't I don't have necessarily anywhere to go with this, but it was such a remarkable thing. Like there were multiple like movies about the Bible in this very once again very CGI heavy type of CGI that's not necessarily used that much anymore except for by Ridley Scott. So what you're saying is in a different reality, we could have gone the Bible cinematic universe, right? Yeah, I would say that like a bunch of different, like like the directors would have taken up this whole... Uh, well, this <laughs> happened in like the 50s. With, uh, yeah. the, there was like the Samson movie, there was the Ten Commandments, there was uh, yeah. tons of them. So, I mean, I can definitely see it happening. But again, like so many stories, people just don't really have the biblical literacy to... No, like you're gonna have yeah. a movie about like Ruth or something, like yeah, no, but it's it's also, and this is why I link them, to, link these two movies, the Exodus movie and Noah movie, and a couple of other things, is that they both have this once again, like you said, it is imbued with this Mad Max uh, aesthetic or aestheticism, and both Exodus and this movie have a sense of sci-fi about them, and have this once again, this very Ridley Scott-esque reinterpretation of this, and I could. I can't go into Ridley Scott again. I, the man is so the man is so obsessed with biblical storytelling. It's it's insane. Um, have you ever, you probably haven't, and you shouldn't, by the way, uh, Justin. But have you by any chance seen uh, Raised by Wolves? No. Okay. So it's uh, if you want. Oh, uh, mm, okay. So if you like Noah, you might want to try that out. But it it, it will not. It, there will be this Lovecraftian sanity meter going on. It's insane, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't recommend it. By all means, don't watch it. Follow up episode to this, Leon. I, I, I can't ask anyone to watch it. It's so not good, and it's so weird as well. But it's, it's full on sci-fi, but with biblical messaging in it. It's like androids raising a child. Uh, it's like it has like, and it has this like this immaculate conception. 
but it's a snake and the snake is like the garden of eden snake and it's insane it's literally in it, it, I, it's it's so like i would say it's this noah but then there's no way it could have ever been good it's it's just like i don't know it's this so um it focused on like mythrothism or something like the sun worshiping version oh, of christianity God. Um, and it won over over actual Christianity. That's like the storyline. And then oh. androids all of a sudden, and then space empire. And yeah, and okay. yeah, fuck, fuck me. Um, Earth, Earth is dead because it has the eco fascism uh, line in there. It's, it's okay. We can't talk about this. But my closing closing thoughts on that is that I find there was there is definitely an alternate universe, like you said, Frank, there where we would have had uh, sci fi reinterpretation of biblical stories. And I think after this movie's failing, because it wasn't a financial success, that got cut, cut short quite abruptly. And yeah. Mm. Something that I, I'm going to take the advantage to, to go through there, and especially because we were talking about Noah being a terrible father. Uh, and it, it's, I feel like, because there's something about, something hilarious at the very start of this movie or the first couple of scenes, where it's like, oh, because um, effectively Noah and his forefathers lived apart from the cities and from society at large. But we get no sense that they have any kind of society, which leads to the hilarious scenes. It's like, oh, men, men, run, hide. Um, run, humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I have no idea where they got that or why <laughs> they chose to do that. <laughs> uh, and, and like, I, the, the, the readings that I was coming from, together with the sense it's like, well, you know, we need to cleanse the earth and whatever. Um, is that like there is uh, it's the line that's like there, there is no society they're only individuals and their families um, because we, we do not live in a society we, we don't because uh, the sense is like we don't know like we, we know where uh, Ela who ends up uh, being together with Shem and, and becomes pregnant and all that we've been saying like they found her she was almost dead uh, but we we don't know where um, where Noah's wife came from we I mean, um, uh, Justin in the nose points out that apparently she was related to Volcane or, or something along those lines, right? In well, some... no. I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> because, like I said, with these multiple sources, the genealogies yeah. are weird. So, like, if yeah. you read one genealogy, then Noah and Tubalcane would have been brothers. Mm-hmm. In another version, uh, you know, uh, Nima and and uh, Tubalcane would have been siblings. So this, right? Yeah, it's because you've got all of these different sources that you can pull these weird connections but sometimes they're interesting and sometimes they're like uh like i said cain has duplications so there's cain canaan and tubal cain and canaan yeah. has like maybe divine wisdom maybe he should have had the serpent snake <laughs> from the beginning like it would have been interesting yeah but that would have made so, him a direct ancestor of noah and not tubal cain so yeah yeah and like the the, the thing is that when the sense we we do not have any kind of society in, in like where does uh where did Noah and his wife meet where how did they get together where where are they coming from it's like even okay even this post apocalyptic scenario where post and pre apocalyptic scenario we we don't know where they came from we, we and I'm not saying that we necessarily should have but it feels like oh the, these are our characters here they are and uh, carry on uh, they're just put there like divinely placed in, in like a sims city or a sims game where it's like oh you place them there oh carry on um there's no sense of continuity even it's like because we have um 
oh, I forgot his name, um, or I've confused his name, um, Noah's father's name, because, uh, you know, we have him dying. Lame. Lame. Yes, thank you. Uh, but oh. we, the, the, there's no, the continuity there, that's, that's what I'm trying to, to get at. There's, the, there's no sense of this other society. It's like, okay, if the descendants of Cain, they went and set, the, set up the cities and whatnot, and that's what they've been doing, then they, the others have been surviving somehow? Um, it's... Yeah. They're almost demigods, really, because like Methuselah yeah. lives in a cave yeah. and doesn't seem to eat or drink um, yeah. or, or have anyone to take care of him. And he's he's clearly a decrepit. And um, so and a lot of like, again, a lot of the stories, the source material, you've got Enoch bopping around, seeing all the corners of the world. You've you've got Enosh getting, you know, information. You've got Canaan. So, I mean, they're almost sort of like independent demigods. But this movie is very much about humanizing them. So it's like, why are why like in the biblical story, like all of Noah's sons already have wives and children. So there should have been like a big clan of them. And um, they're all fertile, which is a subplot to this movie that I, um, yeah, I I don't know necessarily. I just want to mention it. We don't have to get into it. But Emma Watson's character uh, is a wife of Shem. Is um is is infertile because she has like a wound on her belly, and I I I forgot that this was a thing by the way, when the first time I watched it, and then when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, it's a young girl, like oh, there's a wound on her belly, oh, please don't make this infer- infertility plotline, and yes, it does, uh, of course it does, and uh, it's 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 then resolved by essentially Methuselah doing like a uh, like a Jesus like wonder. Um, yeah. like uh, fertile, like he presses the fertility button that's hidden in somewhere. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like so it's, it's the fertility now. chakra. Yeah, yeah it, it, <laughs> yes, precisely. And it's uh, yeah, he he just does that. So once again, uh, <laughs> there's this very brief shot of like establishing Methuselah as like a warrior with a flaming sword, which like yeah, flaming sword does happen in in text and so forth and so on. And there's like the, the name of of God inscribed on it and so forth and. Or like a divine name, not necessarily. Never mind. No need yeah, to get yeah. into that. But then, the wife of Noah goes like, "Please make her fertile," because that's a good message to send. Because she doesn't really have value. Because you know, she's infertile. And like, and then it's like the grandpa's like, "Ah, oh, I'm gonna pick berries and make her fertile," I guess. And then Anthony Hopkins like, like, boop. And then she, then she is fertile all of a sudden and horny. Right away, horny as she, hell. Yeah, like her, like, her, like she, her vision sharpens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes from blurry vision to sharpened vision. She has like minus two uh, eye, like <laughs> like eyes. He, he repairs that as well. Like, well, I'm here anyway, so I'm just going to give you good eyesight. You're going to need it at sea. Uh, <laughs> very funny. I love how any kind of religious movie gets immediately horny, like the Vavitch or whatever. Like yeah. that movie had to get horny, even though there's only brother and sister there. Like, no, 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 we still got to get horny because this is religion and it's yeah. horror and it's got to hit horny as well. Yeah, and then we have once again um, after that we have the scene of of older people like uh, dying and drowning. And we hear their voices, and like uh, that could have been. I feel like that was a great opportunity to like give some more effect of that on Noah, making him more unhinged. Because, but then that would have been like non-biblical. That would have been psychological storytelling. And once again, all these threads of like different kinds of storytelling in this movie, like yeah. that don't really go anywhere. It's like 
Well, that would have been a great way to make him go slightly insane by like waking up for days, day and night, hearing the wailing of people sinking to the bottom of the ocean. It's it's like yeah, I and which I was like, oh, that's horror. That's that's who. That's quite something. But they they don't really utilize it. I don't know how how, how that scene worked out for you guys. It's it, it just tells the creation story again, I guess. And I remember this story. There's only five stories in the world up to that point because history isn't older than that. So you really have to pick and choose. Oh, which I want to I want to talk about Noah retelling that story because there's a very particular filmic choice there. Um, because regardless of like, oh, we, which, uh, as I mentioned, like we were told a bit of the story at the very start of the movie and then Noah's retelling is like, oh, because everyone's evil and whatnot and humanity needs to end. Um, and, uh, as he's selling about like Cain and Abel, uh, in this like shadow puppet thing, suddenly Cain and Abel take different forms. So they become, um, they become Roman centurions. They become like Napoleonic troops. They become riot cops. Uh, yeah, and that was a choice. I don't like that choice. I completely forgot about that, and I was like, "Why?" why? Yeah, on a set, a couple of of epilepsy inducing scenes, uh, montages of such scenes, and yeah, I don't know. <coughs> I thought I miss saw the riot cop, but now that Frank has said it, like, no, because was... it, it just it's just one riot cop shot, and then it goes into. Like Greek soldiers, Roman soldiers, a medieval, and then like, yeah, it's like uh, no. history is a suggestion there in this full-on no. misanthropic scene. There's like humanity will always uh, be evil and kill one another. If if they had tied that in with the foresight given from God that you know, because he had the snakeskin, he could have seen yeah. what humanity would be. He could have seen the future from the the book of whatever it was that I had. Um, he could have known what the, what humanity's end goal would be. And then he would say like, okay, humanity has to stop. You know, there's so many different things they could have done. Instead, they did about half of them and in no particular order. And I just really feel like someone should, I think there was, to bring it back to Star Wars, actually, there was no one in the prequels. There was no one to say no, I think. There was someone who should have said, we need to cut this. This has got to go it's gotta yeah. go i don't you can't fix it it's gotta go what do you what the hell do you mean riot cop get no that's gotta go what do you mean we meet a character that ham wants to wife and he bit. cares that she's dead he he like he literally is like i want to buy a wife i would trade a cow for a wife and then he's like sad that she's dead and he's like yeah he goes forward he goes wife foraging and yeah it's yeah it's, it, it, so does Noah, but he yeah. Noah doesn't. Noah gives up. He's like, oh no, uh, this is creepy. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, that scene was like it. It then it flirts with like some horror aesthetics, but then that is immediately dropped. Like once again, there are so many different versions of this movie being filmed at the same time. Yeah. That yeah. none of them reach fruition, and no, that's just so remarkable of a of a choice in my own opinion. I think that's also why because um. My favorite movie is The Man from Earth. It's a movie that was filmed in two days. Um, it's a science fiction movie. Um, and the whole movie is people sitting in a room talking to each other. That's it. That's the whole movie. And when this movie was pitched around, um, a lot of the film uh, companies wanted to do flashbacks. They said, that well, we want to show these historical events that are being described. And they said, no, we're going to do it the way, because this was Jerome Bixby's last work. Um, and his son was producing it. And he says, no, we're going to do it the way my father wanted to do it. 
So we're going to do this low budget indie film and it works really, really, really well. And I think the same thing with the last temptation of Christ. It's a, it has a bigger budget, obviously it has big names, but it's not, it doesn't go nuts with it. Jesus doesn't, you know, like fight anybody. (laughs) Like he doesn't do, he doesn't do karate. And like, there's very little fighting. The fighting that does happen is very like brief and sloppy. And it's like, it like a real, it kind of looks like a real fight. Like they scuffle and they like run and they're like, okay, get out of here. Like they're trying to assassinate someone and they just run away. And it's, it looks like a real fight. What actually, um, I think you can't make a good movie like this and make it a big budget movie. I think it has to be limited yeah. financially. I just don't think if you've got too many toys to play with, I, I think it just is, never going to work i'm i'm happy to be proven wrong i i want to see and i put this in the notes i want to see an anime of the book oh, yeah. of enoch i want to see the oh, titan absolutely. nephilim i want to see them destroying the earth i want to see that movie that anime but yeah yeah i want to see that but like i don't think if another movie comes out that's like uh another biblical story i mean the odds are it's it's because we can name on on one hand of the good ones you know like the ten commandments last temptation of christ like there's not a whole bunch of like ones that are really worth mentioning <laughs> yeah and i think with like this this adaptation by the right of like uh, what they first accused left off of, like, like, oh, you're such snowflakes and whatever. Meanwhile, the, the right is, like, complaining about everything. Like, uh, oh, yeah. black people in the movie. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird, man. Um, but other, <laughs> I've already talked about it on the last episode. I can't get into it again. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's, it makes it even more unattractive because these people, I don't think, are ever ha- never happy. Um, and as, as an example by that, it's like, since we already talked about Star Wars, which is like, you know, uh, you have the Bible and then they have Star Wars. Um, so, <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, on the Star Wars, the Mandalorian, there was a woman, uh, I forgot her name, uh, Serrano. Serrano it's, she was the, the Marshall, the big stocky woman, um, which was first a fan favorite because she was, once again, a woman that looked good but like still was like devi- deviating from like standard, slender beauty standards and so forth and so on. Not for me to judge. Uh, once again, don't want to get into that, but she was first a fan favorite. Then she ran it into the ground in like five seconds by like mm-hmm. being anti-trans, anti-vaccination, uh, comparing uh, how Republicans were treated to the Jews in the Holocaust and so forth and so on. And she was like, hey, we're going to drop you now. Uh, and so she now does movies for like uh, Daily Wire, yeah. like Daily Wire associated movies, which is like a like, not even B-budget movie, but like C-tier movie um, where she like, you know, it's like, five Republicans and in, in a room and then like make them try and write a script or whatever. And it's, it's like really beat for beat, like power fantasy, Republican, Republicanism, American Republicanism. And people, when it was released, when she like was the star in that movie, people were mad because it's a woman in elite. So people that the audience of the daily wire was like, uh, like, Oh, well it's, um, it's a woman in elite. So that's, that's feminism. And she's a feminazi now. So even, her own people betrayed her and like, I don't know. So it's when you try to do a Christianity movie then, or even if you commit to the idea of making it a Christian movie, I don't think they will ever be happy. Like the largest market for like media consumerism in the West is by far and large the United States. And if you cater it towards it, it will not be successful because they will never be happy. I think they don't have the capacity to be happy. Because once I again, think you, 
Sorry, go on. No, I think you've got most of it there, is that part of it is there is this purity test. And I can say this from the inside, like there's this purity test of, well, this is a secular movie. So like Last Temptation of the Christ was never going to be accepted because like it wasn't made in a Christian art house. And I think there's actually a more materialist answer here, which is there are Christian film studios, Christian music producers. And yeah. if you're not signed with them, you're not yeah. good enough. And this was something actually I, I was talking about the other day, um, how all these bands when I was growing up, so mid mid 2000s, um, everyone was like, everyone now my age is like, gosh, those were all Christian bands. Like, how did we not notice these were all Christian bands? But the thing was, I was deep in it. And everyone was saying, those aren't Christian bands. Their message isn't good enough. Uh, no, you've got to listen to the ones who signed to the Christian labels because like, yeah, sure, their band name is Creed and they keep singing about Jesus on the mainstream <laughs> radio, but that that's not a strong message, right? They're not they're not explaining the doctrine of the Trinity, so they're not good enough, right? So no, you've got to go listen to the Backstreet Boys knockoff plus one. It's a concert I went to live as a child. Oh, <laughs> um oh my. and uh and yeah, it's wild because these were overtly Christian bands, but like they weren't good enough for the Christian media landscape because that has to be controlled it's it has to it, it, there's a material reason why they they reject this it's not just that they're not good enough it's like they have to come from the right publishers too plus yeah. i think I, there was a, a study about the whole christian bookstore industry and how that pushed a lot of this uh christian pop culture by creating these little bookstores all across the united states that only stocked these things and so that's where you would find them yeah, people then many atheists then subscribe to like, oh, Christ all Christians are the same in America and so forth and so on. And it's like, no, it's deeply pillarized. It's if people are born in that pillar and they either like exit it and go somewhere else, but most stay within that pillar, like for for the rest of their lives. And it's like you know, and those pillar are those pillars are associated each with like you said are associated with each uh, with with the publishing company with the publishing house. Um, and like you, you're in, well, you're spoon fed that from young age. Like we watch movies from that Christian company because they are yeah. the same type of flavor that we are. And once again, there's this, once, there's this, uh, this amalgamation from an atheist lens or non-Christian lens. It's like, oh, they're all the same. Cause once again, um, they do vote for each other sort of on a Republican level. Like, you know, no matter which Christian candidate gets popular in the Republican Party, the evangelicals are going to, like, probably going to vote for the Puritan. The Puritans are probably going to vote for, like, you know, uh, the Protestant or uh, Lutherism or I don't know what kind of flavor you have more. You have more than that. You know, but, you know. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so they do fall in line on a political scale, but not on a market material scale, I would say. So do you, you're right about that, I think. Yeah, I think that's why... A mainstream movie will will never make them happy. There is that. But like you yeah. said, there was this backlash to this one particular time because uh, and I think they didn't expect that to happen. Right. That caught them by surprise when they brought this woman in to be the lead, because normally in and these kinds of like gender dynamics, it's like women should be in the home. But our women are exceptional women. They can be politicians. They can be yeah. uh, mm -hmm. movie stars. So usually they're they're, the good word. Right. Usually there's an exception. So I that that's a deviation from the script, really. Um, they're, but, in, they're imbued with defined yeah. purpose. So, you know, yeah, it's yeah, fine yeah. in this case. Yeah, exactly. 
yeah, it, yeah that is indeed is picking and choosing and like this uh <laughs> this weird cult that like the handmaiden is based off of of the handmaid still sorry not the handmaiden but the handmaid still that's uh, that cult is, uh, has the Supreme Senator now, I believe. I've got, I've got her name. She's one of the Supreme Senators. Um, uh, not Supreme Senator, sorry. Uh, the, the Supreme Judge. Oh, Amy Conan Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. And she like she belongs to that curl uh, cult that, that the handmade still is based off of. And like, you know, so yeah, that that's once again. Yeah, some kind of fall. Christian patriarchy, probably. Yeah. And it's, it's I don't know. So that's like they do fall in line on that spectrum, I do think. But I don't think they'll... And they're not even happy, but this is the point that I made with the Daily Wire stuff, even though that's not Christian. But they do share a lot of the cognitive characteristics. Yeah. And they will never be happy with this, because, once again, that's when that's where it hurts. And they can accept politicians as long as you love Jesus. It's fine, because Jesus is everything, and so forth and so on. And let's send all the Jews to Israel so that the prophecy can be fulfilled. Oh, never mind. I didn't say that. Don't worry about it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's this kind of weird, uh, this weird uh, temporary alliance that doesn't necessarily translate into creation of art. Because creation of art is more personal to them in an odd way. When it may, maybe it should be the other way around. I don't know. Uh, not necessarily a point I wish to make, but uh, it is odd, I would say, because you would think that they would enjoy a movie together less so than politics, but it's the other way around, which is, once again, the resilience of such movements within politics, I would argue. But mm. yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's it's remarkable. Do the Mormons make their own movies? I wonder. Is there, is there a Mormon? Uh... I mean, they make small budget stuff for like religious education, yeah. like small animated things. I really, uh... um, but I don't. I don't think they have the same sort of. Um, I mean, TLC. Honestly, yeah. like, uh, buy a bigger home, have more babies. I mean, like that's you know, it's coded Mormon. I mean, it's sort of with areas Mormonism just sort of is more geographically centered, so it can kind of just control culturally what's going on without really having to do this whole thing that that like the Zondervan Company was doing with Protestants and, and all across the country. Is there anything else? You There's one thing about? I want to mention, and it's deeply yes. silly. It's probably not important, but it's important no. to me. Uh, did you <laughs> notice that apparently uh, this whole story uh, or this post-apocalypse is in Pangaea? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the planet zoom in. As, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which this this uh, the flooding is like what created the continents, I guess, the fire and the flooding. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I suppose so. <laughs> I just I had to mention that. Yeah, they they uh, they try and sort of uh, do a scientific approach to um, you know the seven days, but they show like a time lapse of, of like yeah. the waters receding and stuff. Um, but then also water comes out of the ground as if there's like water below the earth, as if it's a firmament. So you know they have it both ways, and it's fine. It's a miracle story. <laughs> but right, yeah. Right. Yeah, I hope we did it justice, Justin. I don't know if you're happy with uh, with all the talking points. That don't know if there are oh yeah, I think I think we've pretty much covered everything. That uh, for free to go ahead that's... if you feel like have you left something out. Oh yeah, no, I think we covered all like the myths and everything because uh, that was it was really hard to flesh out. You know, 
there's a million little stories and stuff that that are, are referenced, but really the main thing is this movie was trying to do something, and I, I think it, it did, but it didn't do it effectively, and it's still a bad movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how it fits in. Once again, I don't know how it fits in with the other Arnofsky's work. Um, yeah, me either. Th- yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> okay, well, uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and thank you so much for joining us, Justin. Yeah. Uh, you will see Justin soon again when we talk about <laughs> another dubious work from a certain uh, a certain man with certain opinions. Oh, and, oh I'm going to uh, say this. I'm sorry to interrupt, Leon. This movie is more merit than that book. Mm. Okay. Mm. That's where I stand. I'm not Stay surprised. Tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for uh, next the month and we will uh, you will see Justin again very soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, once again, thank you. Uh, so, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so and much. And we will see you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.